Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Well, good morning, church. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn in the Gospel of Mark. And if someone from the sound team would bring me two AA batteries, that would be awesome because I'm about to go dead on my mic. So, uh, oh, look at this. Ask and you shall receive, right? So, uh, real quick, uh, the Gospel of Mark. We are finishing up the Gospel this, this uh, week. We've been in it since March. And so, uh, next week we will begin our Advent series in the book of First Peter. And then... There's really no good, smooth way to do that, so that was just it. Um, so if you would, uh, let me point out something that's out in the lobby. There's a couple of things I want you to be aware of. Out in the lobby, there's, there's uh, on one side, there's different tags that are hanging on a wall, and there's a TV screen there, and that's our, uh, our Christmas offering, missions offering, and we're going to, again, this year support uh, Shepherd's Heart uh, International, which is... Uh, uh, in Kenya, and what it is, it's, a, it's an orphanage that we participate with and, and uh, serve. And last year, you might remember, we did bunk beds for all of the kids. I don't know if you remember that. This year, they've asked us for a couple of things. They've asked us for a sewing machine and a, and a water tank. And I know that's not as exciting as bunk beds, right? But uh, what's really cool about this sewing machine is it's not just one sewing machine. It's a giant sewing machine that takes thread and makes fabric. So then they can take the fabric and cut it into pieces and then sew it into uniforms. And so it's like a really big industrial sewing machine. And so what I've got us out there is different ways we can all participate in purchasing this giant sewing machine. And also they need a water tank to go on top of the roof so they can have fresh water. And so those are things that we can give to and, uh, and help them uh, this uh, Christmas. And so um, you'll see those tags out there. If you'll just take those and then try to, uh, you know, write your name down so we know how many tags have been taken. Uh, this is not working, so you guys are going to have to keep up back there. Um, so we, ha- we have that. And then also, uh, on the other side, there's a gift to you. And so it's almost Christmas time. Uh, I know most of you, show of hands, how many of you have already put up your Christmas trees? I thought there'd be more. I thought, I thought you guys would be like, it's such a sad year. We put ours up already. Uh, we just need something happy to look at. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I keep hearing. Anyways, on this side, we have a gift for you. It is a Bible per family, so you feel free to go by and grab that. It's a chronological Bible. It goes date by date. And what we want to do is we want to encourage you as we move into 2021. It's a new year. So we want to encourage you into uh, being in God's Word on a regular basis. And so what we'd like to see in the next year is, number one, not to quarantine. That's, that's our number one goal. Uh, we are being very cautious. I want you to know that uh, we are listening. We do realize that there are an uptick in cases in our area and, and nationwide. And so we do want to begin to, you know, remind ourselves that social distancing is something that we probably need to do. Uh, you know, we need to uh, participate in those things so we can meet. Uh, also, we want to put more emphasis on making sure Sunday mornings happen, but also small groups happen. And so we would love to have more small groups begin in the new year, uh, both on Sunday mornings and uh, throughout the week. So if, if God's led you, if you're a member here and you feel led to be a small group leader, please come talk to me. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that. But also realizing that there's, I know I'm rambling, but there's a lot I have to get through. I know there's, there's, uh, there's this idea that you can't be in large groups. I don't know if you've heard that. 
so what we would like to do is we'd like to revisit something we did many, many years ago called grace groups. And some of you have no idea what that is. They're basically discipleship groups where four to six individuals, all male, all female, they get together, they have coffee, they have lunch, and you take the Bible reading plan that we've given you and some questions, and you say, here, here's what God spoke to me this word, this, in his word this week, and it's just a time to sit around the table and to be in God's word together, because one thing we realized during quarantine is that it exposes the fact that we need personal discipleship, and we can't rely on church programs to offer that for us. Mark chapter 15. It's kind of where we are today. We have a very difficult section of scripture that we're going to go through. And um, there it goes. And John Stott says it this way. All Christian preachers have to face this issue. Either we preach the human beings are rebels against God under his just judgment. I thought I was repeating myself. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is the weirdest thing. Like, um, <laughs> All Christian preachers have to face this issue. Either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under the just judgment, and if left to themselves, lost, we're just, hey, we'll just play it in a minute. I'm about to get to the section of scripture. We'll just, I'll hold up the phone in front of the mic. It's going to be all good. This is a really good quote. I'm going to get through it, okay? This is not how I pictured the beginning of the sermon going. <laughs> Do I start over? All Christian preachers have to face this issue. Either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under his just judgment, and if left to themselves lost, and that Christ crucified who bore their sins and curse is the only available Savior. Or we emphasize human potential and human ability with Christ, uh, with Christ brought in only to boost them and in no necessity for the cross except to exhibit God's love and so inspire us to greater endeavor. The former is the way to be faithful. The latter is the way to be popular. It is not possible to be faithful and popular simultaneously. So my goal this morning is not to be popular. Okay? So it, it, it's not my goal. My goal is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and for us to all to leave here with, a, with the weight of the fact that the God of the universe came, he put on flesh, and he bore our sins and our punishment so that we could have everlasting life. And that's the only reason we were gathered here today. We're not gathered to pat ourselves on the back and to be better people. We're here to say, Jesus, I can't do it, and I desperately need you, and so that's why we're here today, and that's what the scripture points us to. As C.J. Mahaney once said, unless you see yourself standing there in the shrieking crowd full of hostility and hatred for the holy and innocent Lamb of God, you don't really understand the nature and depth of your sin or the necessity of the cross. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. As we read through this section of Scripture, it's very difficult. It's hard to read. It's hard to teach. It's hard for us because it's so weighty, but this is so important because the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the crux of all Christianity. Without it, we have no faith. And so therefore, as we go through this, I want to point out to you the fact that there is one who came and died in your place today. As Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good per for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Church, while we were enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. As we get into scripture this morning, that's what we're going to read about. The punishment that we were due, he took. So let's pray. Father, as we get into your word this morning, we pray that you would be exalted, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that you would be the center of everything that we put our lives around, that we would focus on you right now and that we would see you in a new light and that you would awaken our hearts to you, awaken our minds to you, capture us again with the truth of the gospel and let it motivate us and lead us, Father, to surrender our lives to you over and over and over because you're worthy. You're worthy. In Christ's name, amen. The first thing I want you to see as we get into this is we're going to take this in different sections. And so I'm going to say the cross and, the cross and. And so the first section is the cross and the counterfeit worshipers. If you have your Bibles, chapter 15, starting in verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him with a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they, had, when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put it on his clothes, put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. As we see these soldiers, this is the time after he's been flogged. He's been brutally beaten with a cat of nine tails. We know for a fact that this scourging would have ripped off the flesh from Jesus's back and it would be hanging in threads. And he's there and now they're going to mock him and ridicule him as he lays there in in his own blood. And so they take their robe and they took this cloak and they put it around him and they put a crown of thorns, they push it down on his head and they begin to mock and to perform false worship. This section of scripture is difficult to read, but Isaiah pointed this out in Isaiah chapter 53, 3 through 7. We read many of these verses last week, but I want to show you that Jesus fulfills the prophecy long spoken. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is taking upon himself the beating and the punishment that we deserve. And we esteemed him not. He was stricken. He was smitten. And they performed counterfeit worship. I want to walk through this with you. And they clothed him with a purple cloak, is what verse 17 says. This purple cloak was probably some military garment that they had. And the color had royal purple in it. It resembled uh, a king's robe. And so they drape it around his back that has been beaten. They put it on him. This counterfeit worship begins when they they seek to clothe or to make Jesus in their own image. We do this too. We would like to put Jesus in our own image with our own values, our own thoughts, and our own feelings. Many people today want to worship a Jesus that is their own version of Jesus. 
We like to worship a Jesus that's okay with sin. We like to worship a Jesus that looks like us, thinks like us, holds the same value system as us. So we clothe him in our own image. This is counterfeit worship. Verse 17 goes on to say, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. If you can imagine Jesus having a crown of thorns pressed down on his head, you know that your forehead is so uh, thin with skin and the capillaries are so close right there that blood would have just poured down his face. This crown of thorns was undoubtedly their attempt to mimic the golden laurel wreath worn by Caesar. What they didn't realize is this crown of thorns pressed down on, their, on our Savior's head pictured, both, pictured God's curse on sinful humanity being now put on Jesus. If you think back to the garden, you think about back to the, the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, there was a consequence that came from the sin. It says this, And he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to, you, shall, you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. What they didn't realize is they were pressing down the very curse and consequence of sin on Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus Christ came. He came to bear the punishment of sin. And that's exactly what we see with this crown of thorns. This is a curse. The curse of sin is being put on Jesus. And he's, he's wearing it. Counterfeit worship, this, verse 18. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. Counterfeit worship at its core is confessing and saluting Jesus as king while our conduct is making a mockery of the crucifixion. I want you to understand that, that these men are participating in, in false worship. It says the whole battalion came. That's 600 men showed up. This is, this is a worship service. There's, there's not that many here, right? Can you imagine 600 people gathering around Jesus? They're spitting at him. They're, they're cursing at him. They're yelling at him. They're, they're dressing him up, and it's all false worship. And yet they're kneeling down. They're saying, you're the king of the Jews. And their lips are professing something that their lives are saying otherwise. You see, if we honor Jesus with our lips and deny him with our life, our life is making a mockery of Christ and his cross. John Stott, again, he said this, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. None of us in here are innocent. We're all guilty. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all, like sheep, gone astray. But God has laid on him the punishment of us all. J.C. Riley says this, Never let it be forgotten that he had a real human body, a body exactly like our own, just as sensitive, just as vulnerable, just as capable of feeling intense pain. Think of how Jesus responded when the soldiers mocked him and they mistreated him. They performed counterfeit worship. He had the power to eliminate every one of them by speaking a single word, but he chose to suffer on our behalf, to the will of the Father. Today, Jesus has the power to speak a very 
simple word and end all of the counterfeit worship that takes place in this world, and yet he's patient. He's not willing that anyone would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. Peter knew this. Peter would say this later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when they reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Counterfeit worship wants to live in sin and claim Jesus as Lord. But we are to die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. Church, I want you to understand that Jesus deserves more than counterfeit worship. Jesus deserves genuine worship. Jesus deserves more than lips that acknowledge him as Lord with lives that live for the sins he died to redeem us from. If we are participating in sin and accepting sin and then claiming Jesus as Lord, what we're doing is we're making a mockery of the crucifixion. Sin should break our hearts because it broke Jesus on a cross. We should weep. We should mourn for sin that's in our lives. We shouldn't accept it. We shouldn't write it off. We shouldn't clothe Jesus in our own image and say, oh, he, he loves me. That's cheap grace is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls, calls it. It's cheap grace. Second thing I want you to see as we continue reading is the cross and the countless critics. Verse 21, verse 32. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews, verse 27. And with him they crucified two robbers one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. This section of scripture, we see in the narrative that there's countless critics, but there's one man that gets caught up in the middle of it. This man, Simon of Cyrene, he gets caught up. And for many of us in a world that is hostile towards Christ, where everyone seems to be a critic of Christianity, there's a lot of us that are going to get caught up in the middle. We're going to have to choose whether or not we're going to carry the cross of Christ. Simon of Cyrene, a husband and a father, is caught up in the middle. Verse 21 makes this remarkable note. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from a country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry the cross. It's speculated this Rufus, mentioned here, may be the same man Paul greets in his letter to Rome because the Gospel of Mark was most likely composed and written in Rome. Romans 16.13 says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. 
Simon's actions that day did something that had a lasting legacy in his, in his family's life. His wife and his sons began become known in the early church. Simon's actions of carrying the cross of Christ had lasting impacts on his family and their faith. So, men, you can't, you can't miss this. If you're, if you're a man in the room, if you're watching on, online, as the head of your household, as the spiritual leader in your marriage, as the key discipleship maker of your children, when you walk with Jesus and take up your cross, you're demonstrating a discipleship and a love for Jesus that you can then pass on to your family. You, you can't miss this. It's mentioned that he's a father and a husband here because it had lasting impacts in the, in the early church. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the call that's on all believers that get caught in the middle. But we are to carry the cross when there's critics all around us. Those who are mocking Jesus, crucifying Jesus, yelling at Jesus, have nothing to do with Jesus. We're all caught in the middle. And what are we called to do? We're called to carry our cross to be for the glory of God and to be a witness to our families and to the world. This is what we're called to do. But when we carry the cross, we will experience ridicule in this world. And like Simon of Cyrene, our lives will be transformed he was never the same. I would, I would guarantee that. And our testimony would have an influence in the lives of our family and our friends that are all around us. You see, as believers in Christ, sometimes we get to choose to be obedient, and other times we get compelled to be obedient. It says there that they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene. He didn't volunteer. He got pushed into obedience. And let me tell you something. This is what God does with me too. He'll tell me what, how to be obedient. And then sometimes he'll kick me into obedience. Are you with me? You keep putting them off and putting them off and putting them off. And he goes, okay, well, there you go. Time to be obedient. Sometimes we need to be compelled into obedience because we, uh, that seems really awkward. I don't really want to carry my cross. I don't really want to put myself out there. I don't really want to be identified with Christ in this way. I, I like the Jesus that has blonde hair, blue eyes, teaches the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, everybody likes that Jesus. I don't know if I want the crucified Jesus that I get associated with. Carry your cross. Sometimes we need to be compelled into obedience, and there's some ways that we need to be compelled into obedience. Number one, we carry the cross when we, are, when we identify with Christ in the midst of a culture that finds Christianity increasingly repulsive. Church, I got news for you. I, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but Christianity is becoming increasingly repulsive to the culture. And we're all going to get caught up in the middle of it, and we have to decide, am I going to be compelled to be obedient and to carry my cross, or am I going to try to blend in with the crowd? We are called to exude a constant conviction and faith. There needs to be something so different about us, and that is the Spirit of God that He's placed within us, that that character begins to exude out of the way that we live our life. That, man, there's something different about them. They, they must be a real believer because they don't care what other people are saying. They exude the character of Christ. Number two, we carry the cross when we take the step of reaching out to someone to tell them about Jesus. Now, let me tell you, some of us, our biggest fear is actually changing the conversation to talk about Jesus. Am I right? Because we know that we could get ridiculed. We know that we could get critiqued. Well, what if they ask me a question about Jesus that I don't know the answer to? That's why you have people like Jeremy Richards on speed dial, right? Like you just, Jeremy, what's the answer to this question? 
We need to exude the character of Christ, but we also need to engage in gospel missions locally. Men, let me ask you, does your wife and do your kids see you engage in conversation with people about Jesus? Sometimes we need to be compelled to do that. We need to take up the cross and we need to have the conversations that are difficult to have. And number three, we, need, we carry the cross when we commit to leaving our homes to take the gospel to people groups overseas. We exude, we engage, and we extend. We extend the gospel globally as a family. This is why the local church is so important. The local church is a family. And I pray that you can find this to be your, your family. That's my prayer. And that you can then engage and extend the love of Christ to all places in this world. That we will go. That we will not just go as a church family, but we'll take our, our immediate family. Kids, you're going on mission with me. Like, we're going to take, take this trip together. We're not going to go on vacation together. We're going to go on mission together. We're going to exude, we're going to engage, and we're going to extend. And sometimes it's not easy, and we're going to have to be compelled to do that. Carry our cross. Verse 22. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Calvary is the Latin word here. It means the skull. Golgotha is the Hebrew word. H.C. Trumbull says, Calvary shows how far men will go in sin and how far God will go for man's salvation. Am I right? And they crucified him. They crucified him. They divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified him. They hung him on a cross. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus called crucifixion the most wretched of deaths. The word excruciating comes from the word meaning from the cross. The ancient Roman philosopher Cicero asked that decent Roman citizens never speak of a cross because it was too disgraceful of a subject for the ears of decent people. The crucifixion of Christ was done in a public place. Crucifixions were done in places where crowds would gather around the victims to mock them as they sweated in the sun, as they bled, as they became unconscious from the pain that could last for hours and even days. They stripped him. Our Lord and Savior hung naked on a cross in a public place. And all the passerbyers mocked him. It's estimated that in the time of Christ, Rome crucified some 30,000 people in Israel alone. After the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, so many Jewish rebels were killed by crucifixion that the Romans ran short on lumber to make crosses. Jesus died a criminal's death. And with him, they crucified two robbers. One on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, 
He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. They yelled out, save yourself. Come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. What's so interesting about this is if Jesus had saved himself, he wouldn't have saved any of us. If Jesus had saved himself, he wouldn't have saved any of us. But he hung on the cross. And in fact, he saved others because he hasn't saved himself. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The cross and the confessing few. Picking up verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling to Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the centurion and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that that this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. It says the whole land was covered in darkness. The word there is the word translated earth. We don't know if this was an isolated darkness that just was there in that one place or if the entire world, all of creation went dark because the one who created all things had died on a cross. Can you imagine? When he died, the curtain was ripped and the centurion said, there's something different about this man. MacArthur says the darkness at Calvary not did not represent the absence of God, but his holy, terrifying presence. The Father descended in judgment on Golgotha in thick gloom as the divine executioner to unleash his fury, not against sinners, but against the sin bearer. The full weight of God's wrath was poured out on the Son of God as the spotless Lamb of God was sacrificed for sin so that sinners might be justified through him. Moved By his perfect justice, God's infinite wrath released an eternity of punishment on the incarnate Son who, as an infinite and eternal person, absorbed the tortures of hell in a finite span of time. This was the dreadful cup of divine judgment that Jesus anticipated while sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Church, understand that at that moment, that was when the Son of God became sin for you, for us.
And the father looked away. The father turns his face away. For the first time and the only time in all of eternity with the mysterious union of the Holy Trinity, the father and the son were separated. Union was broke. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What this tells us is that our sin might be grotesque, but his grace is greater than all of our sin. At that moment, there was no more separation between God and believers because Jesus was the doorway. Jesus took the full punishment of our sins so that we could have a right relationship with the Father. It means that our sins are covered by Christ. There is no longer any separation. It means that we are saved by grace and the grace of God, not by good works. There was nothing that we can do to earn salvation, so Jesus Christ had to put on flesh, live a perfect life, and die in our place, and absorb the full wrath of God on our behalf. So we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We have a Lord who welcomes us to come to him. As Hebrews says in 4, 15 through 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how sinful you think you are or what sins you've done, you can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done on your behalf to find mercy and to find grace. You might think that Jesus wants nothing to do with you, but he is there offering mercy and grace when you, when you don't deserve it. And so we boldly approach the throne of grace because of what he's done on our behalf. And this centurion, he stood there facing him, saw that in the way that he breathed his last, and he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Tim Keller says this, there's a striking contrast between the centurion and everyone else around the cross. The centurion had seen many people die, and many of those by his own hand. Yet even for him, this death was unique. He saw something about Jesus' death that was unlike any other. The tenderness of Jesus, despite the terror, must have pierced right through his hardness. The beauty of Jesus in his death must have flooded his darkness with light. That's how salvation takes place in our lives. When we look upon Jesus Christ, there is something that radically changes within us. The darkness that we hold is flooded with the light of Jesus Christ. There is an internal change that moves us from death to life, from darkness to light. And that's exactly what this centurion says. Surely this was the Son of God. There is something different now that I've seen him. Lastly, the cross and the courageous followers. Picking up verse 42. And when an evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse 
to Joseph. Verse 46. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, took courage. Mark identifies Joseph as this prominent member of the Sanhedrin, more than likely, the very council of the Jews that had turned Jesus over to Pilate and sought his execution. Luke gives us some more insight into this in chapter 23, verses 50 and 51. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who, did not, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. It says he took courage. Joseph of Arimathea went against all the critics. He went against all the crowd. He went against all the council. He went against everyone that he had contact with, and he took courage because he knew that Jesus deserved to be buried properly. He was looking for the kingdom. He was a follower of Jesus, and he had just seen Jesus die on a cross. But God uses the courage of Joseph to display the glory of God. Joseph declares his love for Jesus through through his actions without the hope or belief that Jesus would offer him anything in return. Isn't that interesting? How Joseph of Arimathea treats Jesus not knowing the outcome, not knowing what we know is going to happen in chapter 16. He has no hope of the resurrection, yet he worships Jesus by giving him what he is due. That's real worship. When we worship Jesus, not because of what we can receive, but because of who he is. He deserves to be worshipped. He deserves genuine worship. He deserves for us to offer ourselves to him. That's faith. Faith is courageously displaying a love for God and our obedience when we have no idea of the outcome. Church, we're called to live lives of faith. We're called to step out in obedience or be compelled towards obedience because of who Jesus is, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what others are going to say, regardless of the, the critics or the critiques, we're to take courage. We're to take up our cross and follow Jesus because we do know the end of the story. There is a resurrection and a life for those who are found in him. I love how Paul Tripp says this. This is how I'm going to end. What Joseph didn't know was that the burial of Jesus would not be the end. By God's power and grace, his tomb was not a casket of death, but a doorway to life. After three days, the stone would be rolled away and the grave linens left behind because Jesus would live again. And so would all who followed him by faith. The tomb that Joseph offered was not a final resting place, but rather the ultimate symbol of God's complete and final victory over sin and death and his delivery of the promise of forgiveness and new life to all who put their trust in him. Have you put your trust in him, church? Do you love him for who he is and for what he's done? Then will you worship? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each.